The views expressed on this show by guests and the host on issues outside of the 9-11 controlled demolition evidence are the opinions of those individuals alone and do not necessarily reflect those of architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of 9-11 Freefall. I'm the host, Andy Steele, and today I'm excited to be joined by Jeff Bishop. He was actually uh, featured doing one of our webinars a couple of weeks ago. I said, hey, you haven't been on Freefall yet. You got to do it. So uh, in a second, he's going to be coming on. He's a signatory to AE 9-11 Truth's petition calling for a new investigation into the destruction of the three towers that fell in New York on that day. He's an architectural engineer who provides engineering consulting services on architectural projects as well as forensic engineering services. I think he'll be talking a little bit more about what that involves during the show. And he is one of the youngest members of AE 9-11 Truth's Project Due Diligence, which is getting these presentations uh, performed in front of the branches of the ASCE and other professional organizations all around this great country. Uh, as I just said, he presented in one of our recent webinars, and he also, even more recently, just gave a presentation to the ASCE branch down there in Biloxi, Mississippi. So we're going to be hearing about all of that. Let me go ahead and bring him on in here. Jeff. Howdy. Welcome to 9-11 Freefall. Howdy. It's good to be here. How are you doing? And thank you so much. Where are you from out in, in America, by the way? So originally I'm from a little town called Bayview, uh, which is kind of near Lake City and Kima down in uh, south of Houston, little suburbs outside mm -hmm. of Houston. And uh, now I live in Galveston, Texas. So um, the little barrier oh. island outside of uh, Houston. I know a little bit about that. I'm shopping around for new states. So this might become a new question I ask freefall guests as they, uh, as they come on here, but uh, try not to let it overlap too much. But I want to know more about you. Um, talk about you know what led you into engineering. I've heard somebody describe it in a book I read probably 20 years ago that when you figure out what you want to do in life, it's like a key goes into a lock and turns. Uh, and also elaborate on your professional career for our audience too. Sure. So basically my um, engineering path started really uh, pretty young. I had a good friend of mine that I uh, was growing up with, we were maybe 10, 11, 12, and his dad was a civil engineer, and he was kind of a pragmatic thinker like I was, and uh, I was somehow uh, gifted in math and uh, that type of, those type of uh, studies in school, so I wasn't really uh, big um, into the other subjects. I was really good at math. It just came to me, and it seemed like uh, those two things kind of uh, were guiding me to uh, head towards engineering. I didn't know what type of engineering exactly, so I just picked civil engineering because it's kind of a well-rounded uh, style of engineering that just has a little bit of everything and you can kind of pick as you uh, eventually decide what you want to do. So it was pretty young where I decided I wanted to do some type of engineering. I didn't know what it uh, encompassed exactly when I was a kid, but um, in middle school, we had uh, a class where we did um, in, Inventor, AutoCAD Inventor. And uh, I've, I think in middle school, we also had an AutoCAD program, uh, old AutoCAD, just 2D program that we learned. And uh, somehow I was in these classes where I was on AutoCAD at an early age. And that really helped me uh, once I got into college. And once I started working, um, I already had the skills to uh, use AutoCAD. I just had to learn the engineering side of it. So did a lot of um, learning during in college, uh, of the, uh, obviously, of the engineering side of things. But, you know, my experience um, in buildings didn't happen until well after I graduated. So I always thought I was going to be redoing roads and bridges and um, those type of things when doing civil engineering. And 
my specialization was in transportation. I thought uh, that was going to be my thing, going to be reprogramming all the stoplights and having everything flow perfectly. But <laughs> the more you get into it, the more you actually uh, practice it and you realize it's a very uphill battle, uh, struggling to um, keep the traffic flowing. You know, there's never going to be a good balance of enough government funding and enough uh, organization to, uh, you know, make. Uh, luckily in Texas, we have it pretty decent. We're not super. Um, we don't have super bad traffic in most of the most of the uh, cities. You know, some people might tell you otherwise, but. Uh, I've been to other states and other areas that are just way different uh, problems with traffic. So um, that's kind of what I, I thought I was going to do. And uh, it wasn't until I uh, graduated, I worked for a little while at a uh, tunneling contractor and was digging underground tunnels. And uh, it wasn't until about a year after graduation or a year or two after graduation, I started doing uh, building envelopes. So uh, exterior architecture basically. So with a engineering focus, cause that's what I, uh, have my degree in. So, you know, something I took for granted until I started working at AE 911 truth and talking to all these engineers is how you guys make this entire system run this entire country. Somebody has got to figure out all those roads. Somebody's got to figure out whether you put a stoplight here or a stop sign. I don't have the, the slightest clue how you go about doing that, but, Good God, that takes a lot of thought and planning. And it's fascinating, too, that you were working with AutoCAD in middle school. I'm thinking back to my middle school days. And, uh, you know, we in our technology classes, we were making little pots and, you know, the, the pulley and the lever and all that stuff. And you guys are messing around with it. Pretty, I mean, advanced sounding stuff. So good for you in that regard and uh, for finding your passion in life. So... You're described as an architectural engineer. What is the difference between that and structural engineering? So, so basically, when you go to go test uh, to get your PE license, there's different uh, fields that you can go take your test in. And that structural engineering exam is probably the toughest one. It has a very uh, low pass rate, and it's a two-day exam, whereas all the other tests are a one-day exam. And it's something that you got to be really uh, focused and plugged in and you got to really want it. You got to really be a structural, a practicing structural engineer uh, after you uh, prepare and study and get, get ready for that exam. That thing is, that's a tough one. And um, basically what structural engineers are, the way I've uh, uh, learned about it, what structural engineers do is they can design bridges and high rise uh, structures. So other disciplines of engineers, you know, kind of have to stay in our various lanes, um, generally, uh, our areas of expertise, uh, but structural engineers, their area of expertise is the structure and that uh, SE designation that they get uh, elevates them a little bit more in the structural aspect so they can take on uh, more responsibility for, for structural um, you know, detailing, structural modeling, stru the entire design of a high rise um, that falls on an SE uh, as you know, we're all PEs, professional engineers, but that that higher designation allows them to take on high rise structures and bridges because there's a little more consequences when those don't work out. So, yeah, you know, and they always make it seem like when you're coming up in school that math and science is the left brain thing and English and history are the right brain things. I'm, I don't know if history would classify, but got to put it in there somewhere. Uh, but basically like there's a lot of creativity that goes into structural engineering. I mean, these iconic landmarks when you go in and I don't know all of them, but there's, there's this kind of a building that looks like a triangle in San Francisco. Somebody had to come up with that concept because you're flying in there. And that's how you're going to recognize the city. The World yeah. Trade Center, Twin Towers for the longest time. Someone said, okay, look, these are going to be the tallest buildings in the in the New York City. And, uh, you know, it's got to look a certain way. Some people didn't agree with the way they were designed because they're basically just two rectangles there. But that's what people always recognize. You see shots in movies in New York City, and there's the Twin Towers there. So Very a lot of iconic. And, 
Yeah. And you got to figure out in terms of your vision of how this is going to look. I mean, it, you know, you can come up with a design that looks all crazy and unique, but if it's not going to stand up, there's a problem there. So you got to figure out that as well. Work within the realms of physics and reality. So God bless you guys for doing what you do, keeping us safe and giving us interesting things to look at. And of course, keeping the country running, as I said before, what do you love most about your job? Uh, well, I honestly, I love the people I work with. Uh, I get to work with a lot of, um, well, uh, other companies, you know, we, we deal with down in Texas. I think it's just kind of the, the people we end up with down in Texas are a friendly bunch. You know, you get on an elevator, you say, hi, how you, how's your day going? And everybody's uh, pretty courteous to each other and smiles and um, gets, gets along with their day. And, and then in my company, I mean, I just, uh, that's probably the main thing that uh, keeps me happy and keeps me going is uh, being able to see the people in my company every day and come into the office. And luckily we had to work remote a little bit during COVID. So we missed out on some of those interactions, but uh, now everybody's back in the office and a lot of us go out to jobs and we're in and out of the office. But um, I mean, I, that's one of the main things I like uh, is just the uh, camaraderie and the, the people I work with. Um, but uh, when you were saying those those different structures and those different uh, designs, um, a lot of times it's the architect's vision uh, that controls, you know, the aesthetics of uh, structure, and they're going to draw something out that's, uh, like you said, that triangular shape or some kind of very uh, difficult, challenging shapes that uh, the structural engineers then handed. Uh, here we go. I want to make this happen. I want it to look like this and you got to make it work as a structural engineer. So um, it's not always us. Uh, when you say you're a designer, if you're an engineer, you're not really having much say on the aesthetics and the final shapes and, and uh, design of the facade or, or the structure or the, or the uh, well, the structure, but uh, the, uh, the way the planning goes, like what rooms go where and how it all comes together. You're basically given a architectural design that they from their experience they hope it's gonna it's gonna be able to work out in an economical way for you uh and then you're given that and all the and you got to put the loads on that and start sizing all the beams and all the uh structural elements and so we're basically given these uh wacky designs from architects so you got architects to thank for all those interesting looking uh buildings and for uh how the trade centers looked you know that's an architect's vision and they give their uh they work closely with structural engineers and other engineers but they give their vision to an engineer and he's got to uh come up with a way to make it hold up you know and stand up so and i think they I did imagine, some kind of, go ahead i was just gonna say i imagine in the architectural and engineering world there's probably conflicts that come up there's probably architects and engineers that boom bap bump heads because somebody's vision is just, you know, that's their vision. I want it to look like a mm -hmm. giant toilet paper roll, they might say. And the engineer says, well, it's not going to work for this particular reason. Yeah. And if you ever go, if you ever go look up uh, guys like uh, high end architects, like Frank Geary and some of these other um, visionaries architecturally, uh, you'll see, you know, they don't have much of a concern with the uh, building, you know, the structural elements or the actual physically getting it built that way. They've, they've taken, like you said, toilet paper roll. Uh, Frank Geary, he's kind of famous for just taking paper and other elements and kind of molding them together and making a model of generally what he wants, how this, all these crazy shapes he wants to uh, make. And then uh, the drafters and everyone else kind of puts together a drawing set, hands it to a structural engineer, and they probably lose their mind a little bit, you know, because they got to make it all stand up and work. And then at the end of the day, the, uh, the building envelope people have to come in and make all these different elements fit together in such a way that it doesn't leak. And um, that's another thing that uh, Frank Geary buildings are sort of notorious for is um, having difficult details that um, might not always be watertight. And we'll say <laughs> all these different yeah. situations, but that's not his fault. You know, he's got the, he's got the vision. He's got, he's more of an artist. Um, and then all these other trades, he's basically uh, the ringleader of all these other trades coming together and putting together his vision. Um, and so that's kind of how it ends up working uh, with architects and engineers. You got the, the architect is a master of uh, 
nothing, but he's a uh, he's got enough experience in all the different elements to bring everyone together and to get the project moving forward. Um, so he's the master ringleader, basically, you know, and then uh, each of our different roles, mechanical, electrical, structural, all these different guys come together uh, underneath that uh, below that or uh, on the show with the ringleader re leading them and uh, have to put together this building that uh, the ultimate vision is his is uh, his or hers idea, you know. So yeah, yeah. there's headbutting for sure. <laughs> that happens. Well, I, I I would like to see things go back to being. I'd like to see them be bigger versions of what we saw in the 1800s. Some of that architecture that would be nice. Everything now, like I live out west, and everything is just beige, adobe. You know, the same thing from one building to the next. I'd like to see us start going back to some more, you know, intricate designs. So let's get to. Every the, the the subject that we bring everybody here on and what everybody's tuning in for 9-11 tell us your 9-11 story where were you on the day of how did you hear the news of what was going on so i think uh if i did the math I, i'm i'm 35 i think i was 13 14 um so i think i was in middle school still eighth grade and i do remember uh i remember seeing that morning um, you know, the, the, the fire and the hole in the building, nobody knew exactly what had happened. There was rumors that, that a plane hit that first building. Um, but you know, I'm getting ready for school. I'm looking at the news. My mom's sitting there looking at the news, kind of shaking her head and going, man, that's, that's something else happening, uh, you know, out there in New York. And I go, huh, cool. You know, and didn't really think much of it. And, uh, just, she said, okay, see you later. Have a good day. <laughs> just took off and walked to the bus stop. And just back in those days, you weren't constantly connected to the entire world uh, through the internet on the cell phone. So, you know, none of us had any idea what was going on. We get on the bus. It's like a normal day. We go to school and uh, then they tell us, uh, you know, basically everything's shut down for the day and we don't have the day off, but we've uh, got to stay in the rooms, uh, the, I think our first period or whatnot, you know, and everybody's just going to sit in their room and watch the news. And, uh, mm -hmm. I had some friends that, uh, and I, that we didn't want to do that. And we found a way to wiggle out of there. And we were just wandering around school all day, just meeting up with people <laughs> and hanging out and not, uh, I wouldn't say cutting class because there was no class, but uh, I didn't watch every second of it on the news. That's for sure. I was doing other stuff, you know. I was a teenage, young teenager, so it didn't really have any effect on my immediate life and, and future that I knew of. And, uh, you know, I j didn't pay any attention to it, really. And uh, it wasn't until I got home, my mom said, I shouldn't have sent you to school. That was a terrorist attack. And that was, you know. You know, we didn't know what was going to happen next, or we're at war, or what, 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 you know, I can't believe I sent you to school. And I said, well, everybody was at school. I wasn't the only one. So uh, for our time zone and when it happened, I guess that was a common experience. Um, but yeah, everybody was just uh, watching the news, watching it on TV. And uh, one thing about the, the TV, I mean, it, it really is television programming, you know, everyone really got locked in and uh, told that uh, story through the news that first day. And I'm sure that stuck with a lot of people, you know, because depending on your age group and where what age range you're in, uh, most of most people uh, older than me were watching that on the news or at least had it on the background uh, on, on, you know, on a TV in the background. Or I think a lot of people went to a central place, you know, and left work and went somewhere to watch the news because uh, it was definitely a, you know, a nation changing event that happened. Um, and so a lot of people just digested the news and uh, what they were told that day. So I've come to find a lot of pre any preconceived notions of uh, their opinions about any of that stuff were kind of started to be molded on that first day. Um, when they watched the news all day and kind of got that message of this is what's happening. This is, you know, who we think did it. This is why. And um, a lot of people that I talked to, 
um, that aren't engineers, they had no idea World Trade Center 7 even collapsed. So I uh, get into a conversation with someone and they'll say, oh, you know, you're crazy conspiracy theorist, tinfoil hat guy, uh, you know, those 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 planes were just too hot or the fires from the explosions from the planes are just too hot buildings collapsed and i said well you know trade center seven didn't get hit by a plane what how, how did that building collapse and they just look at me and say what's trade center seven so uh over and over again when i interact with people about it i have uh that's kind of the first hurdle you have to overcome is that immediate um kind of notion that they got that day and, and the subsequent days after just watching the TV because it's really easy to consume media from the TV and just have that be kind of a baseline opinion that if you don't think much about it one way or the other, you you just assume that people on, on the television screen are, are telling you the truth. So um, a lot of people just believe, you know, what they heard that day and the subsequent days after on the news and never think twice about it. And, uh, it's 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 tough to uh, have to come to terms with the truth whenever you uh, start researching it. That the news was not exactly uh, you know bringing a message of that uh, of exactly what unfolded that day. So yeah, you know, there's a big difference too between the pre nine eleven world and the post nine eleven world. And I'm not going to say pre nine eleven everything was you know carefree in America, uh, that there weren't problems, but people had a general trust in sort of, you know, the system. They knew there was corruption, but, you know, more of people scratching each other's backs type of thing, not this kind of corruption where you would hide all this evidence regarding the biggest mass murder in this country's history. I just got an antenna. I don't have cable, but I've been thinking with everything that's going on in the world right now, I'd like to just, you know, have a clue of uh, if there's any breaking news. So I got an antenna, you get a few local stations. I watch TV for about 10 minutes and it's just such a disconnect between what I know, what I see on the internet and I see out in the world and, and what's on television. It's just, uh, it, I call it the big elementary school of the globe, the United <laughs> States, because that's how they treat us um, and how they present things to us. A lot of similarities, you know, I feel like they talk to children on, on the news here. Like they they think they're talking to children and how they present these things in these very black and white terms. And, uh, you know, it's a good idea not to watch television unless there's a crisis going on and you need to <laughs> pack up and go or something. But, um, yeah. how, how did you start to question it though? You were 13, you were kind of skipping out of the room, taking advantage of the moment to go talk to your friends. What made you look back at this event and say, Oh my God, there's something wrong here. Yeah. Um, so, I think a lot of the younger, uh, younger than me generation uh, are coming up. They're not, um, they're not being, uh, you know, uh, I wouldn't say exactly programmed or indoctrinated, but you know, they're just not being fed or they're not consuming uh, the same amount of uh, singular source uh, television, mass media as much. And so I probably am in that category somewhat where you know, I didn't spend much time watching television in high school, and I spent probably more time on the internet. Where, um, especially at the the internet's early days, you know, you would think uh, before everything kind of got into big conglomerate, uh, uh, you know, sources where kind of you go to everyone goes to one place, Google or one of these other. Uh, search or, or uh, one of these other social media networks, you know, everyone kind of feeds all their traffic into these specific things before that was uh, the major piece of the internet. Internet with the internet was just a bunch of websites where you can just kind of just go explore all over and just follow all kinds of links in every different direction. And, uh, you know, I think a, a lot of younger generation people will, uh, it, it does help in some respects to rely on the internet rather than uh, the television because uh, with the internet you can choose it's like you choose your own path television you know if you see something you don't understand or you want to research something uh, you have basically an encyclopedia you have uh, a lot of the uh, different opinions about us uh, any specific subject at your fingertips you can go in any direction you want and so um, you know, when you're watching TV, you might say, well, I don't believe any of that. Turn it off and go outside and, you know, 
not think about it anymore. But uh, on the internet, you, if you're curious enough, uh, you can chase down any different um, uh, thought that you have on any specific subject and learn about it and just keep going in any direction you want. And maybe that's uh, difficult in some respects where you go down a path that's just a misinformation or a misdirection or just garbage uh, uh, information, but you're actually allowed to explore those paths and make that decision yourself, um, which I think is nice because um, that's what it seems like the younger generations are doing is um, they have a, a BS meter and they're going through all the different avenues of what people are saying, all these different opinions, and they're researching it a little bit themselves, and then they're coming to their own conclusion about different subjects. So uh, rather than have the default setting, um, yeah, the TV said this, that's what it is. Um, people can go down, you know, reliable source or uh, iffy source or unreliable source and compare all the different opinions on different subjects and then make their own mind up about what they believe because uh, at the end of the day, uh, you know, you just by getting those different options, uh, that opens your mind to alternative hypotheses about huge events like this. So I think that's a good thing. That's kind of what started me down that uh, path is just exploring on the Internet and just learning about different uh, things related to this on the Internet. And I had uh, I had a couple of friends of mine go into the military, which I, I'm sure a lot of people have that same story. Uh, where 9-11 happens, they, uh, you know, get very patriotic, which is a, gr a great thing. You know, I'm, I'm very pro-America. Um, and I think that's that's great. Go, you know, go into the military if that's your path. Uh, you know, I'm happy for you. But I, I think uh, there's also a part of me that, that wishes it wasn't a uh, false pretense to go into war. So uh, some of my friends went to... Uh, Afghanistan and uh, Iraq and didn't uh, didn't die over there. I had a few friends that went over there and didn't, you know, uh, nothing horrible happened to them, thank God, and they came back and then got on uh, hooked on antidepressants or medication and killed themselves. So I had a couple of, uh, you know, I played football. I had a bunch of friends in a, from different walks of life and different uh you know, income brackets and, and whatnot and education levels, intelligence levels. So everyone went on their different paths. And a few of my friends that actually went uh, in the military, did, uh, they came back, but they came back broken or they came back, uh, you know, not 100 percent OK. And um, eventually uh, committed, you know, had a couple of friends commit suicide. And that kind of opened the part of the door to just uh, you know, the truth movement is uh, why, why do we go to war in the Middle East? Well, a lot of people will tell you and a lot of people join the military specifically because of 9-11. And if that whole exercise over there was built on a lie, um, I think the American people all need to know it. And a lot of people do. Uh, they do realize now it's been the 20 years goes by and then the pullout of Afghanistan and a lot of people said, what were we doing over there in the first place? Why do we go over there? You know, who was who was over there that attacked us? Uh, no answers were ever given for any of these things. And, um, you know, part of the uh, truth about 9-11 uh, has to do with engineering. And so those those two paths just crossed. And uh, I looked at I was just watching, I think, some uh, early video from a 9-11 truth and I joined the sign the petition and I joined and I never thought about it and didn't know how big of a movement it was. And then I got a phone call and I said, hey, there's real people on the other end of this uh, petition, you know, and I got to talk to some people uh, over the phone and I said, yeah, I'm in school uh, or maybe I had just graduated. I said, yeah, now I'm a licensed or now I'm an uh, EIT, engineering training. So if you want to change my petition to that, change it to that, you know, and uh, then when I became a PE, you know, change it to PE. I'm one of the uh, 3,500, I believe now, architects, professional architects and engineers uh, for 9-11 Truth. So um, that's basically been my path for uh, through the 9-11 uh, thing was, you know, I had personal uh, 
experience that led me towards engineering and then personal experience with uh, some people that led me to uh, question why we we're at war in the Middle East. And uh, those two paths kind of collide right at 9-11, you know. The truth is is there if you just watch the videos uh, of the collapses. Uh, and if you have any type of um, engineering background, which, um, you know, not everybody has, but even even a, an elementary background of physics or uh, even a, just a like a, a grasp of how uh, construction works, um, you can build a Lego tower and see what happens when uh, you know different things fail and and study a uh, the physics of something very simple how it collapses and nothing matches what we saw that day except for a controlled demol demolition so. Um, the truth is right there. It's just uh, got to be spread to more people. And I think uh, engineers should be leading that charge uh, because we're the experts um, in that realm. And by coming out and saying, yeah, just fires cause that collapse is uh, it's a uh, like a ding to the engineering profession. It's a uh, it's something that uh, I can't you know, stand by and just say, yeah, that's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll settle for that, uh, reasoning. That doesn't just, it's not the truth. You know, it doesn't make sense to me that, um, the engineering profession would go down that path of, uh, standing behind, uh, the NIST report, basically the, 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 the lie that, uh, this building collapsed trade center seven, at least, uh, due to just fires, you know? So, the towers, I haven't studied as much. I kept, I got questions on the towers uh, doing my presentation and I felt like I had, I needed to dig into the towers more, but the Trade Center 7, I've studied, I've studied to uh, prepare for the uh, different talks I've given. And um, I'm pretty intimately familiar with that one in the NIST report failings uh, at this point. So um, I'm still learning. We're going to talk about that. You know, getting just to comment on what you were talking about. Most people, even if you don't have an engineering background, everybody has a little voice inside them that tells them that something isn't right. And I'm going to tell you folks out there in the audience: always listen to that voice. It doesn't mean you have to react to it immediately. Um, you know, maybe you want to gather more evidence at first, but you can always tell when something ain't right in a situation. I purposely use bad grammar there to make it stick in your brain. So always listen to that inner voice and there's nothing wrong with questioning anything. Yes, the internet was better. Now we've got these these hubs like YouTube, Google, um, Reddit, you know, and they, they do seem to be a little bit more controlled or just overpopulated with uh, groups that are pushing official stories and such. Uh, like if you do a, a view count search of uh, Andy Steele AE nine eleven truth for instance, I don't Google myself much because I don't I don't want to see it. But uh, <laughs> but I've, five videos come up. That's it. That's all I've done. Five things in my entire <laughs> truth broadcasting career here. So there's well, at least it's not the uh, the mass media video talking about you. <laughs> that pops yeah, up first. Well, they, they don't talk about me much. I'm not. I'm not that important. I think I came up in maybe two articles at one point. Um, but basically, yeah. So you know, we got to find. We got to create new forums and stuff. We'll be addressing that a little more in the few, next coming weeks. But what I want to highlight here today is that, and this is part of combating the central control system that the internet is turning into. It's getting out into the real world. Remember that folks, the real world, you know, you talk to people, you know, if you want to talk to them, you pick up the phone or you walk over to their house and have a conversation, getting out and giving presentations at these chapters in real time. No algorithm can step in the way of that. You just did this in Biloxi, Mississippi. Uh, just start off by telling our, our audience the story of this and uh about the presentation that you gave sure so i uh i got asked to do the presentation over in biloxi mississippi and i'm down in galveston texas so if you uh know how it's uh how far it is about seven hours i think from here and so it was no matter what it was going to be it's going to end up being a pretty big trip and what i ended up doing was uh going to florida to visit my uh cousins out in gainesville florida and then um took my family out there we had a good time 
did our thing, and then uh, I planned it to where on the way back, I would stop, give this presentation in Biloxi, and then keep on cruising back to Houston and, uh, and eventually Galveston. So um, I ended up making it part of my trip so that I would kind of uh, knock it out without just making a specific trip out there, which was nice. And so we woke up about, uh, well, luckily we went to bed pretty early, but we woke up about 4.30, packed the two-year-old and the seven-month-old in and just cruised straight for Biloxi from Gainesville. Um, and it ended up working perfectly. We got there with plenty of extra time to relax for a little while and um, hang out get the kids doing something and, and the wife off doing something. And then uh, I uh, came in, set up, they had a nice, uh, they had a community development center. They had a nice big conference room in there uh, with the television. So I didn't have to use my projector or anything. So everything was all set up beautiful and nice and plugged everything in and uh, had some discussions beforehand, you know, and like you said, um, meeting people in real life and just, uh, you know, the internet is kind of a strange world where you don't even know if you're arguing with people or if you're arguing with bots or you don't even know if you're being saturated one direction or the other with uh, fake stuff, you know, um, even on those giant platforms, uh, they've got some pretty big controversy brewing over how many of their users are real people um, and versus how many of their users are just uh, algorithmic responses to keep you engaged. And so, um, so yeah, the internet's got a, it's a double-edged sword as well, but um, uh, it's still a lot more free place than the television, you know, but uh so it's nice to get off the internet and get out into the real world and give one of these presentations. So I started talking uh, with the uh, leadership there. And he asked me how many presentations I've done. And I said, this is the first one. Uh, so they thought, oh boy, here we go. This guy might trip over his own feet uh, the very beginning. But luckily I didn't do that. I got, a, got through the beginning, started off building up some momentum, uh, explaining just the specific, I just did the uh, presentation on Trade Center 7, uh, which is a lot easier sell. And I, I think it's the easiest sell uh, to get someone thinking about the events of that day um, because um, all of these uh, engineers were familiar with Trade Center 7. Um, and so we asked that question at the beginning. And, <clears throat> you know, I could tell the, the vibes I was getting were, okay, guy, you came in here and you've got something sort of provocative as your topic today and let's see you prove it you know and luckily uh a 911 truth uh had put together the presentation that proves it uh without a shadow of a doubt and so um you know anytime i'm talking and getting getting uh off into the weeds i can always just look back at my presentation and say okay this uh this bullet point here this next slide here and and generally um, with not a whole lot of uh, additional engineering uh, expertise, someone can uh, give this presentation or watch this presentation and go through the points and just see all the different ways that NIST failed in their forensic analysis of the collapse. And, um, you know, the graphics are great and uh, all the work that University of Alaska Fairbanks uh, did was excellent. And, um, you know, by the by the midpoint or towards towards the uh, getting towards the end of it, um, I could feel the momentum in the room uh, shift. You know, towards uh, to you know, I can't believe that, that I'm not. Sure, I, I don't think anyone's read the NIST report. You know what I mean? If if you ask a hundred engineers, have you read the NIST report on World Trade Center Seven? They say no. Maybe I I've glanced at the findings. They found it collapsed due to fire never look deeper into it. So, um, you know, I don't blame them. I, a lot of uh, these guys are civil engineers or, you know, it has nothing to do with, with what they do, but structural engineers, definitely um, guys that work on high rises should be concerned because uh, the findings of the NIST report basically says that there was a detail uh, that just couldn't survive. Um, an office fire for a certain amount of time that caused a uh, a pancake collapse or a complete global failure of the entire building um, within you know a matter of hours and so um, that 
you know, one thing that uh, I, we were uh, I've talked about with people is that uh, the code wasn't altered in any way, like drastically after this collapse, which if a steel frame high rise collapses uh, due to fire, you would expect, OK, uh, first, the forensic investigation is going to find out what happened. OK, it collapsed due to fire. Next, you would say, OK, how do we prevent this from ever happening again? Because it's unacceptable that a, high, a steel frame high rise collapsed due to fire and, uh, you know, that quickly. And um, no code changes were ever adopted to address the uh, failures in the building. So it kind of tells you what the code people might have been thinking when uh, they're taken into consideration because you know, they also work for the same government entities that Nick NIST uh, works for. So, um, you know, it's 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 probable they've read through that report. And if they really believed uh, the uh, hypothesis given in that report, they'd probably make some drastic alterations to some parts of the code that led to that failure in that specific area. So none of that was ever done with the code. So, um, you know, it kind of it kind of it gives you another uh, thing to think about where maybe mo maybe most engineers that are uh, in the know also do not believe the uh, NIST reports hypothesis. Uh, so nobody even this uh, has taken it seriously, even in the, uh, those realms. So, you know, the anyway. new thing is from debunkers is to come in and say, well, the NIST reports weren't accurate either, but no, it wasn't controlled demolition. We can't tell you what happened, but okay, if you spend all this money on these reports and it's not accurate, if that's your position, shouldn't they rerun the analysis and also look at the observable facts of, of what you can see on the videos and the pictures and everything else? So that that's their new thing that I'm seeing here. If okay. you follow the trends, please continue. <laughs> Well, I, I think uh, exactly what AE 911 Truth is calling for, an independent committee uh, to do a, another uh, investigation uh, should be done because any type of a huge catastrophic failure um, like an airplane crash has this exact process. Uh, when an airplane crashes, there's an independent committee that comes together that's not tied to the, um, you know, to the different... Uh, airplane manufacturers and the uh, FAA and all these all these guys that are interconnected at these different levels and there's an independent commission that goes in and just studies the plane uh, crash and says this is why it collapsed regardless of who it affects and uh, the money and the political aspects of it um, we need just the truth so that more planes don't collapse same thing with buildings a building collapses um, if a uh, uh, independent forensic analysis is done, um, you know, we're going to get the truth. If it, if a analysis is done by the same body that has a vested interest in the, uh, the findings with the, uh, so the NIST, the NIST bot, uh, the NIST people are a government entity that's, um, the department of commerce. And so they're part of the executive branch. So any findings they have are going to be directly, um, you know, uh, reflecting the executive branch that they work for because um, you know if these towers are brought down by controlled demolition um, who did that and and why aren't we um, you know finding out who did that and, and why why are we um, blaming you know we got to we've got to say anything other than controlled demolition basically so that um, the executive branch is not under any sort of uh, controversy or suspicion, uh, because, you know, maybe in, a, in, I, I, am not sure about the, the, the towers, but maybe if you look at the, uh, different government agencies that are in the building, you know, uh, I, I, that's one of the other questions I got while I was in, uh, Biloxi giving the presentation. And I had a, I had a real basic answer for him. Um, but you can look at the, um, University of Alaska Fairbanks report on their one of their figures in their report, and you start to see uh, the U.S. Secret Service Securities and Exchange Commission and all these other government bodies in there. And that's what I guessed. I did guess it was some. It was a bunch of because I do remember uh, something about that coming up. There's a bunch of different government entities and private companies that are government affiliated. Um, the IRS is in there. The Department of Defense. The uh, Central Intelligence Agency, 
a bunch of different uh, various groups and banks, uh, but then, um, you know, a whole bunch of these floors uh, were rented out by uh, alphabet agencies within the government. And, you know, maybe in some type of scenario where uh, New York is under attack, they've got to get rid of this building because there's sensitive information in it that can't be, uh, you know, stolen by anyone. Maybe that's the case. Um, but if that is the case, uh, you know, the engineers still deserve to know why the building collapsed uh, so that, you know, future buildings don't uh, are, are designed correctly. And if we're told, oh, it just collapsed due to fires, uh, your uh, oath and, you know, your entire profession in engineering is built on public safety. And if you're just saying, okay, uh, fires caused that, then, um, and it's not the truth, then you're not, uh, you're not keeping the public safe by lying about uh, why that uh, building collapsed Trade Center 7. And I never hear anybody say this, and it just popped into my head about 20 seconds ago, but if you're a government office, you know, my first question would be, are there any other FBI offices in America that have beams framing into girders? Because it is, you know, plausible that a fire could break out. So why aren't we going before congressional committees or whatever the process is in government to look at our precious government offices around this country to make sure that that doesn't ever happen again? Is CIA headquarters up in, uh, where is that, Langley, Virginia, I think? You know, does they have any beams framing into girders? I Maybe. I don't know. I've never really looked at it. Don't even know what it looks like. But... You know, this is something that we should be concerned about. Government should be concerned about just for its own infrastructure. That if you could have a fire break out in one of these places, or maybe they're subject to attack because of what they are, that the building is not going to just come crashing down and take out your entire headquarters. That doesn't look good. You know, right. so they should be beyond the speculation of why Building Seven went down. They should have a, a big concern about what happened here to this building that day and the implausibility. Uh, that of this story, which took like seven years to come out. I made them throw little paper uh, basketballs into a garbage can until they stop and say thermal expansion. Hear me out. Right. You know? Yeah. So the, the, uh, yeah, the other thing is the firefighters. I mean, the firefighters are running into burning buildings um, and their lives are at stake and, and they're running into burning buildings to save people. And we don't want any type of, uh, you know, you have a, a visible collapse on television that, uh, you know, makes those guys have second thoughts about running into a high rise uh, building or a steel frame high rise building. It's on fire. That's their job. Their job is to run in there and put out the fire. And um, we're asking them to do that. At You know, they know that they're risking their life, but they also expect the building to be designed in such a way that they're going to be able to. Uh, hopefully put the fire out before the building collapses. So that's another big thing. And uh, that, that one video, probably one of my favorite, uh, well, other than your videos, Andy, but my other favorite AE 9-11 truth video, I think is uh, the, the fire chief that went up, I think it was on 9-11 about five or six years ago, maybe, maybe less, maybe like four years ago. And he, I had never heard this guy talk and he came up and talked uh, that he was radioing his guys up in the ta up in the twin towers, and they had told him, "Hey, man, we're getting progress on this fire. We're putting it out. We got this thing under control." Um, and then that was the last time he ever talked to him. The building collapsed into itself. So, um, you know, all the all the uh, government agencies and the stuff, all the paperwork and stuff. You know, that's one thing. But the people's lives that are, um, you know, lost and and heroic. You know, people that are running into these buildings to save people uh, when their lives are put in danger. It's really that is really the, the, the saddest part. And that's another decent thing about doing the World Trade Center 7 um, presentation is that uh, they got advance notice that the building was going to collapse somehow. And the firefighters kept everyone back. They said this building's coming down. Nobody knows exactly why that rumor was out there or. Who told them to get everybody back? So no bystanders. I don't think anyone was killed uh, in the Trade Center 7 collapse. So, you know, it's easier to talk about that one with people because we're not talking about uh, the main tragedy that killed uh, you know, thousands of people. We're talking about just another 
uh, building that collapsed that wasn't properly explained, you know, and, um, but, you know, the implications of it are deeper, like we were talking about, you know, is there any other government agencies that have steel frame high rises? Probably. Um, are firefighters, you know, if those buildings catch on fire, are firefighters going to run in there and try to save people? Definitely. That's their job. And um, we need to know exactly why Trade Center 7 collapsed so that um, no other building, no other firefighters or buildings uh, collapse on firefighters' heads. No other firefighters have to worry about that because if it's adequately explained, you know, we, we're kind of two different uh, professions or trades that are relying on each other. You know, the engineers are also relying on the firefighters to run in there. Uh, get to the standpipes, get to the uh, fire uh, extinguishing equipment and put out the fires. And so we're asking them to do that. And they're relying on us to design something that's going to stand up and not crash on their head and kill them. So um, we're interrelated in that, uh, in, in those emergency uh, situations. And so the truth matters. Yeah, civilization is a collective effort. Everybody's relying on each other. That's how human beings ended up dominating the planet because we put our minds together and we, we came up with some solutions to every challenge that's come up. And, you know, I don't know how long humanity has existed on this planet, but we're still going pretty strong. I hope we do uh, in the next 100 years or so. But, uh, but yeah, Building 7, it's the gateway aspect of 9-11. And it's so such a shame to see so many people who agree with us, but they bicker over 9-11 factoids, over who they think did it, over things that where the evidence isn't as strong, but it's questionable, and they, you know, they won't have anything to do with this particular uh, uh, person because of they disagree with them on this one factoid. And it's such a waste of energy. We can all agree that Building 7, something looks a little funny about that, right? And uh, we should at least have a new investigation. That's where all of our energy should be. And honestly, when you're dealing with the general public, a lot of times, if you just you stick to AE's evidence, people will come to an agreement that, yeah, they should reinvestigate that. So that's where all the energy should be uh, put here in the movement. I just want to get a sense, how many people were at this presentation and what was the vibe you felt after you gave it? Uh, so there's uh, about 20 people. I think I counted 19 people there in the room at one point. Um, and they were all engineers practicing. Um, and I think maybe one or two retired engineers, but uh, all of them uh, were, they did raise their hand when they I said, have you heard about Trade Center 7, you know, that it collapsed on 9-11, you know. So that was a good start uh, because going at this from, uh, People have never even heard about it thing, you know, like, are they, are they making this entire thing up or <laughs> at least they knew a building collapsed that day that was not the, the Twin Towers. Um, and then just the explanation and by, and, you know, by the end of it, there was some, there was, uh, I wouldn't say anger, but there's some disappointment, I think, from some people that uh, NIST sold us this, uh, this complete uh, you know, they peed on our leg and told us it was raining type of thing. They sold us this complete mumbo jumbo report because it, it, I'm glad someone asked the question uh, towards the end of it. They said, hey, so this uh, Holsey report, um, you know, what did they what was their hypothesis? And I said, you know what? I have the videos of exactly uh, what their different uh, hypotheses were because they modeled it. They simulated different hypotheses and then saw what matched the video or, of the collapse. And so, um, you know, I had exactly the answer and I hadn't ran through those videos yet. So I was super glad at the end someone asked that. And we went and we looked at the collapse on one side and then the model that NIST gave on the other side. And, you know, the model that NIST gave kind of crumples and doesn't uh, fully collapse because they stop it a few frames in uh, because the model doesn't match at all what the video shows. And then uh, I pulled up Holsey's uh, models of, of the tower collapsing and he's got uh, certain the certain column failures that they uh, said uh, failed in the report. He's got those removed. The building collapses like this. Does this number completely, uh, you know, asymmetrical collapse, completely different from what we observed. And, you know, it's very obvious from that model when you watch it completely collapse over. Uh, that's not what happened. That's not what we saw. So I showed him that and everybody said, okay. And then I showed him 
their theory, uh, Holsey's theory, um, and generally most of the people from a 911 truths theory that the only way to get that uh, roof line to go down two and a quarter seconds in free fall speed is for eight stories of the columns, all 82 columns to be completely removed. When they do that, that final Holsey video, I show it, and it looks exactly like the video that we just watched of the actual collapse. And it's just like, uh, you show those four videos in a row and maybe I should have just done that at the beginning, just said my, here's my presentation, just here's this uh, video, here's the NIST model, and then here's the videos uh, of the modeling that uh, Halsey did, which one looks like the collapse? Uh, because the only way they could get that building to collapse like the video shows is to remove all 82 columns at once. And so, you know, it cemented it at the end that, uh, and there was some head shaking, you know, going on at the end that they could, uh, a lot of people couldn't believe that, um, you know, the story for this long has been, uh, yeah, NIST wrote a report, ASC said it was fine and that's how it happened and not a lot of thought was put into it. And, and then you do this study, A911 Truth comes out and funds this study and you know that that's a lot of legitimacy behind it as well is is an actual study by a university and a and a respected engineer uh has modeled spent a lot of time and money and energy modeling everything and and coming up with uh that report which completely refutes the nist report and so um i'm very appreciative of uh a 911 truth and, and university of alaska fairbanks for putting that together because um, by the end of it, you just watch those four videos. Okay, yeah, we've went through all the different points of failure in the NIST report, and we've kind of got a grasp of it, but you watch those four videos, and it takes under a minute, and then it's clear as day what happened, you know? And uh, so, you know, by the end of it, there was some head shaking. There was some, uh, you know, arms were crossed at the beginning, like, let's see what this guy's got. And by the end of it, it was man, unbelievable, you know, what we've been sold. And so uh, I got good vibes from those people. They were very nice folks. And a lot, uh, a couple of them came and uh, shook my hand after and wanted to talk more about different things. And I just realized that uh, I need to study up a lot more about it to be able to answer all the uh, different questions that come at you because uh, I'm not an expert uh, in the, the Twin Towers. Uh, you know, I maybe thought I was uh, until I get the first two or three questions and I say, you know what, uh, I would just go watch a 911 Truths video on the Twin Towers. They've got the same type of a slides that someone smarter than me is explaining every single point. And that's what you should probably go with because um, from, from my perspective, I haven't dove into that one as deep as Trade Center 7 yet. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be talking uh, as well about that one yet. So. Well. I imagine we're going to catch you up and we got so many great engineers helping out with this. And I'm going to tell you the uh, head shaking, the uncrossing of arms, the reactions that you got, that is precisely why people in the leadership positions at these organizations do not wanting us giving this presentation, why they try to do whatever they can to try to pour cold water on it and not let people like Jeff Bishop here and get in front of these audiences because those people are going to go home. They're going to look up AE 911 Truth. The whole world is going to open up for them, but they got to keep it closed in order to protect this lie and protect this, uh, this certification that ASCE gave to it uh, for no good reason, in my opinion, whatsoever. Yeah. Jeff, we are- That was kind of another- Oh, go sorry. ahead. That was, a, that was a kind of another question was, uh, you know, why, why, what is project due, dil, uh, due diligence, you know, and I explained it uh, exactly like what we were talking about. National leadership maybe has gone in a opinion and given in their opinion on the NIST report, everything's fine with it, let's go, we're, we're okay. Uh, but they didn't exactly consult all the branches or do any type of uh, legitimate uh, investigation on their own. ASCE never really, uh, did a, a thorough investigation. They just said NIST report is okay. We're good with it. So um, that's something else to just say as you go to these different chapters is first thing, we're just trying to uh, get a some type of a positive uh, reaction from each lo local chapter so that we can put together a coalition of all the ASC local chapters and say, 
hey, national chapter, we need to say that this NIST report is baloney and we need a new investigation. And then, you know, a lot of dominoes can fall after that. But uh, yeah, getting in front of people in real life and getting through the grassroots of all these local bodies is definitely the way to do it. Because um, as soon as you can get a, uh, a presentation in front of them and it, it makes it a lot easier, 8911 Truths, uh, you know, slides make it really easy to explain. So. Very and we are doing that, and it's so important that uh, our supporters keep on supporting us so we can get this out in the minds of engineers everywhere. And you don't know how it's going to affect other things. Like engineer could be something pretty, somebody pretty important in a year, uh, so it could affect another issue that you care about, or it could actually bring some justice here on 9-11. Jeff, we are out of time. I got it. They tell me to keep it to an hour. I'm, I got like maybe a, a minute or two leeway, but thank you so much for coming on today, for doing your work, for all the great work I know you're going to do moving forward in the future. And uh, yeah, that's it for coming on 9-11. Yes, all right, ladies and gentlemen, another 9-11 free fall. We're always looking for input. So if you got it, go to 911freefall.com or ae911truth.org. That's the bigger site. But for my part, this is Andy Steele saying we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.